0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Roanoke Park area. I'd like you to open your Bibles, if you would please, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 26. And we continue our study this morning of the last few days of Jesus' life. These were days of preparation and they were moving towards the great event that brings salvation to a world of lost sinners. There's a song that's a part of our music program that says, I'm forever grateful to you. I'm forever grateful for the cross. I'm forever grateful to you that you came to seek and to save the lost. And it's because of the cross that we come here today in loving adoration to sing and to pray and to preach this sermon. And all of these things that we do, even as we bring our tithes and offerings, these are acts of worship to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in today's message, I'd like to talk to you about worship, the priority of worship, which we see wonderfully displayed in in this Story that takes place just a few days before Jesus was crucified. If you'd stand with me again, please, as we read God's Word, Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 6. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when the disciples saw it, they had indignation saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, There shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. Father, we thank you so much for this day that you've given us and for this wonderful story that we read in your word. We thank you for what's just been sung and how beautifully that just tells the story of what Jesus did for us, broken and spilled out for us. Lord, help us to understand the importance of this passage in worship today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to look back to the second verse of this chapter. Jesus said, Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. The timing of the 26th chapter is set by verse number 2. This is two days before the cross when Jesus made his fourth prediction that he would die, and it would come at the Feast of the Passover. Now, last week in the message, we looked at this astounding declaration by Jesus, and we saw how that what happened on the Feast of Passover defied the best laid plans of the scribes and the Pharisees. They were determined that they were going to wait until another time to capture Jesus and to execute him. They looked for a time that would be much more advantageous to them because... They knew that Jesus was very popular and they didn't want to risk their own necks, you might say, by taking Jesus at the feast day. So they said, we're not going to take him on the feast day because they feared that uproar from the people. But the plans that they made concerning taking Christ meant nothing to God because the sovereign Lord had determined before the foundation of the world the exact time that Jesus would die. And so at Passover, according to the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, Jesus was taken to the cross. But before that happened, we have the inclusion of this very interesting and wonderful story here in the Gospel of Matthew. Now usually when we look at Scripture, we especially especially when we're looking at portions of Scripture that are chronological, or should be chronological in the narrative portions, we expect that one event is going to follow upon another in that chronological order. But as we begin reading here in verse number 6, we're, we're actually taken back a few days when Jesus was in Bethany. And this was before He rode into Jerusalem on the donkey to begin the Passion Week, And it's actually connected to a miraculous event that occurred in John chapter 11. Now, if you would, I'd like you to turn to John 11. And you'll recognize, I think, the reference is to the story of Lazarus. And how that Jesus raised him from the dead. Uh, Since we don't have time to read that entire story, I just want us to go to the place where Jesus was standing in front of the tomb of Lazarus. In John 11, verse number 38... Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that, if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, And his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, and let him go. Now if you'll go to the beginning of the 12th chapter, we find there's the same story as the text in Matthew. In verse number 1 of chapter 12 it says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised, from the dead and so this was six days before the Passover that the story takes place and that's before the beginning of the Passion Week now we notice also that these disciples Mary Martha and Lazarus were gathered for supper in the house of Simon the leper Oh, well, obviously that means Simon the former leper because no one would ever go to the house of a leper to eat A leprosy was a terrible disease that had no cure. And by law, lepers were kept separate from the rest of the population. A leper had to announce his presence wherever he went. He had to cry, unclean, unclean. And that's so people would know that he was near and they were to stay away from him. He was also ceremonially defiled according to the law. And so there was no one but a leper that would ever go into the house of another leper. And so I think you can understand why there are people that believe that this must be Simon the former leper that had been healed by Jesus. And that's because there is no cure for leprosy. So Jesus must have been the one who did this. And he is Simon the leper to remind everyone of this wonderful thing that Jesus had done in his life. So Jesus was invited to this supper as a gesture of love, and I think of thankfulness. Simon had asked Jesus to come because he was grateful for what Jesus had done. And can you just imagine how awesome that would be? To have the one who is the Lord, the King of kings, to come into your house. The one who, is, who would die to save you from your sins. The one who can heal you of all your diseases. To have him come into your house for supper. And it makes you wonder how that Christians who have been eternally saved by the blood of Jesus Christ could ever sit down to a meal not thinking that Jesus is there with them, that Jesus is alive because he arose from the dead, and yet sit there and take their meals and not pause for just a moment to say how thankful and grateful they are for what Jesus did at the cross. And so we have this group of people, along with the 12 disciples, that were in the house of Simon the leper, and they were there actually to celebrate the resurrection of Lazarus. And that's the connection that we have to our text. But there's another reason that Matthew interrupts the chronological order in Matthew chapter 26 to include this story, and that's because of how it would connect to another person, and that is to Judas. Matthew will next move on to Judas' activities who betrayed Jesus to the chief priests and the elders. Now that gives you just a little bit of background of where we are in this text. We move back in time to this celebration so that we can learn about worship. And our attention is drawn to the woman in verse number 1, or rather this woman that Matthew doesn't name, But we know from reading John chapter 12 that this is Mary of Bethany. This is the the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And it was a celebration for Lazarus, but he's not really the focus of what's taking place. Lazarus was dead and he was alive. But this is going to be about Jesus who would soon die and would be buried and come back to life under his own power. So all the rest of them were there to see Lazarus, to marvel at this one who had been dead but now was alive. And there's only one of these people that really knew how to connect all this that was happening to the one who's worthy of all worship. Now I have a very simple message for you today. It's about worshiping Jesus... And we learn it from someone who was a very insightful individual, actually one who had more understanding than even the disciples themselves, the apostles that Jesus had chosen to carry the gospel to the entire world. Now, as we look at worship today, let's start with this, and that is worship defined. What is worship? Well, the dictionary defines it as reverent love and devotion afforded were accorded to a deity. And that's a pretty good definition. In the Old Testament, the, the word worship actually meant to bow down. Bowing was associated with worship, because worship was not just about the things that you said, but worship was also about what you did. There was an action that was associated with worship. And I'll remind you that as we were studying the last part of chapter 25, We were talking about saving faith, and we learned there that saving faith is not just about what you say, but it's also about what you do, and that is that real faith will actually give evidence of what you have believed. And I think that we can also say that worship shows evidence. Now, it's very common in churches today that when you go in, people will call the song service the worship time. And people will go to church and they'll hold up their hands and they'll, and they'll sing to Jesus. But then later they go out of church and in just a few minutes they're right back to their godless activities. And I don't think that people actually worship in a service like that. Many of them go to church for the music. And we know how music attracts people to a church. Usually it's for their style of music and very often that's fitted to a rock and roll motif. And they're there in order to be entertained with that. And they're actually worshiping self and not God. I mean, they like what they like. And it doesn't really matter whether that's actually uh, uh, lifting up Jesus Christ. That's not the important thing. What's most important is that they satisfy their sensual desires and whatever style of music that you use. I don't think you find that kind of an attitude with Mary. She knew what it was to worship. Now, as we, again, learned at the end of chapter 25, that an encounter with God will actually move you to do something. And it's not going to be to to rock out for an hour and then just soon after return to your godless activities, to go back to what you were before. Worship is about encountering God. When Isaiah had his vision of God in Isaiah chapter 6, it moved him. Isaiah 6 verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. In verse 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. When Isaiah encountered God, it moved him to respond to God's question. God said, who shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And that's what worship will do to you. When you encounter God in worship, in the worship service, you'll find yourself responding like Isaiah. Or like the Apostle Paul when he saw the the risen Christ and he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? Worship also includes the idea of value. You worship what you value. Now actually in old English the, the word was worth-ship. Because one you worship is one who has supreme worth. He is valuable. He's the pearl of great price that you sell everything to obtain. And that's the way that Mary saw Jesus. And it moved her to take the most valuable possession that she had. And to pour it all out, all of it on Jesus. That brings us to our second observation, which is worship demonstrated. Mary is really a beautiful character in Scripture. She always had an adoring attitude towards Jesus. You remember the story in Luke chapter 10, how that her sister Martha was perturbed with her. Martha was the Susie homemaker type. And when Jesus was in their house, she was doing her Better Homes and Gardens imitation of Martha Stewart. And so she was busy about cleaning the house and preparing the food and making sure that everything was ready. And she was going about all the chores. And she was disturbed about this because Mary took no thought to help her with those things. While she was busy doing all that cooking, Mary didn't care about that. Rather, she chose to spend her time with Jesus. So there was Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And this seems to be the way, the posture that you always find Mary there with Jesus. Now, this might seem a little bit odd to you in light of what I've just said. Worship will motivate you to do something. But first, it will cause you to sit still. Now, many times we're so busy with the activities of church, things that we're supposed to do in church, we think that we 're worshiping, and we 're too busy to stop and to think to contemplate about spending time with jesus we don 't actually think about jesus we 're not really interested in being communed in uh, communing with him and in being enthralled with his presence and I think there are many Christians that are very standoffish about with Jesus; they know him i mean they 've been saved, they understand their salvation but they've really never had deep intimacy with him. I can preach a sermon to you this morning about worship, and there are probably some of you that have other things that are on your mind. I'm talking about worship. You're thinking about work. You're thinking about a thousand other things that you have to do. Mary was not that way. Mary just came and sat at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus commended her for it. Jesus wasn't going to be there for, for very long, And there was only a few of them that actually got that. And certainly in this instance, it seems that Mary was the only one to get it. Now, do you think that there might have been a good good reason for this? Well, Why did Mary understand what others didn't understand? Well, there was one commentator who said that Mary had a woman's intuition. That her intuition took her to a place where the men, the apostles, couldn't go. Do you believe in women's intuition? I do how women think it's totally baffling to me, uh, sometimes though they can figure out things for which there is no science. Some people call it voodoo, but you know you know I stopped arguing with my wife a long time ago because there there are things that she knows that are scientifically impossible, and so sometimes I come home and confess without any discussion at all so Despite what this commentator said, this wasn't a woman's intuition that led Mary to do what she did. If you want to learn about Jesus, you have to do what she did. You have to sit at his feet. You have to listen to him. This is the way she was. She's always bowing down and found at his feet, listening. Now let me give you a little bit of insight into that, a little bit of hint here. The way that you listen to Jesus today is not that... You expect him to show up in your bedroom at night and for Jesus to speak to you. And there are lots of people who say things like, Oh, I had a vision of Jesus last night and he told me this or told me that. Jesus doesn't appear to us in visions today. The way that he speaks to us today is through his word. And so if you want to find out what Jesus has to say, what you have to do is you have to go to that shelf where your Bible's been for who knows how long. And take it down and blow the dust off of it and begin to read every word carefully and to let the Holy Spirit speak to you through that word. And when you do, that's Jesus speaking to you. Now there's sometimes that people ask, and this is a very common question that I get, they say, how can I know the Bible like you do? How can I know what you know about the Bible? And I really don't know all that much about the Bible. I mean, there's so much here to know. But what I do know, I can tell you, I have read. There aren't any shortcuts to this. Why do I have a Bible reading program? Because I want to know the Bible. Because I want to know about what God has to say. Some months ago, I gave you a page of Bible markers that you could cut out and put into your Bible. And they would help you to read through the Bible in less than a year. But the response to that is that many people came back and said, 45 minutes or an hour of Bible reading every day, that's just too much time to read the Bible. And all I can say to that is okay, that you'll learn more or less about Jesus depending on the time that you spend sitting at his feet. Now Mary had some great insight insight into this because she spent time at his feet and she understood things that the disciples missed. And you might relate your misunderstanding to some of the things that I say when I'm preaching from the pulpit to this, and that is maybe you haven't spent enough time reading God's Word. Now notice in verse number 7 what she did. She brought an alabaster box, of very precious ointment, and she poured it on his head. Now let's break that down just a little bit to see the significance of her action. It was Alabaster. Now, alabaster is a fine marble that was suitable for, for containing this expensive ointment. And this was not really a box, at least that, that's not like the King James indicates, but this is actually a vial, just like you have a vial of perfume. But I can promise you this, that it was not an ordinary perfume. Some of you ladies may wear some very expensive perfume, I don't know. But I can promise you this, that you have never worn a perfume as expensive as what Mary poured out on Jesus. Now, according to John, Judas said that the ointment could have been sold for 300 pence. That would be the Roman denarii, 300 Roman denarii. Jesus told a parable in which he related the value of one denarius to being the amount of one day's wages. So one one denarius, that is the amount of pay, the average pay for a Roman soldier. And so 300 denarii would be 300 days wages. That's the wages of an average working man. I mean, we work about 300 days per year, and so this would have been the value of one year's wages. Now, if we were to relate that to our economy today and the average American worker, in the U.S., the average pay in 2014... For an American worker, and of course it's higher in this area, but across the United States, the average pay is $44,000 per year. And so if you put this bottle into that perspective, this is a perfume that costs about $3,700 per ounce. Now this is one pound, that's about 12 ounces, so it figures out that the cost of the perfume in today's dollars, or our economy, would be $3,700 an ounce. Now, I looked this up, and I found out that the most expensive perfume in all of the world is Clive Christian Majesty. How many of you have a bottle of that? Chuck has one. He smells really great, too. (laughs) Clive Christian Majesty. And it comes in at $4,350 per ounce. But the major cost is actually in the bottle. It comes with an 18-carat gold collar and a 5-carat diamond. And so we can say that Mary's perfume, the actual cost of the perfume itself, was more expensive than the most expensive perfume that we have in the world today. Now, did you ever think that when you read this story that you'd be talking about something that expensive? When I go to get perfume, I buy the 37 cents an ounce variety. And maybe you do too. But So where did Mary get the wherewithal? Where, where did she get such an expensive bottle of perfume? We're talking here about poor people, or at best we're talking about average people. They're not rich. Well, most likely, the source of it, it was an heirloom. Something passed down through her family for generations. And so when Mary went to get this perfume, it must have sent a shockwave to her brother and her sister, Martha and Lazarus, that she went to get this expensive perfume and poured it out on Jesus. They may have been thinking, this is what we're going to use for our retirement. And so she went to get that bottle, and she didn't take a small drop and dab it on the neck of Jesus. That's what we would do. She took the whole thing... And she poured all of it out on him. She poured it on his head and it ran down over his body and all the way down to his feet. And according to John, she wiped his feet with her hair and he said the aroma filled the room. Is that crazy? Is that crazy to do something like that? $3,700 an ounce just to end up on his feet? And in those days, people might expect to get their feet washed at the door with a little bit of soapy water. But nobody used an expensive ointment like this as a body wash. Now we learn the reason for Mary's action in verse number 12. Jesus said, For in that she had poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. In Palestine, when they buried people, they didn't embalm them like the Egyptians did. Now you're aware that the Egyptians embalmed bodies, and they have been able to keep bodies. They've discovered them thousands of years old. But in Palestine, they didn't have an embalming process. They didn't do that. And so in order to keep the body at least a little bit presentable and fresh, until and they get the whole family together for a funeral, they would pour ointments, uh, s- strong-smelling ointments on the body in order to make it smell better. And this is the reason... That this howl of protest went up when Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus. And, and they said, and he said, roll away the stone from the door. And Martha said, he's been dead for four days. He stinks. Nobody wanted to open up that tomb and smell the stink. That's because they didn't embalm. This is what Joseph of Arimathea did and Nicodemus did. When they took Jesus' body down from the cross, they wrapped it with strips of linen and soaked they had soaked those strips in in this wonderful aromatic ointment and put it around the body this is what mary saw she knew what jesus was about to do the disciples as we discussed last time they missed it three previous times when he said i'm going to the cross i'm going to die they missed it they didn't understand it but mary had listened very intently to what jesus said and she believed him. He was going to the cross. In just a few days he would be dead and buried. And so Jesus said she anointed him for his burial. All of that's important to us. Her recognition of what he would do was important. But I want us to return for just a moment to the gift that she so lavishly poured out on him. No doubt it was all that she had. She gave the most that she could give, and Jesus was worth all that she could give and much more. Have you ever thought about your own worship and your service in that light? Are you holding on to things, and you're you're counting, counting not what you have to spend, but rather what you're going to have left? And that's way the usually, usually the way that we give. We, we calculate this out, and it's not so much how much we're going to give, it's how much that we will have left. How much will I have left to spend on me? When you think about Bible reading, you, you look at it this way. If I spend an hour reading my Bible, how much time will I have left for me? If I give God an hour of Bible reading, how much of the other things that I do, is that going to interrupt and there aren't too many Christians that sacrifice very much for Jesus. And I'll put all of us in that boat. Some of you give next to nothing in time or money. And I'm not measuring the amounts of money that you give because I don't know what you give. I see the same figures that you see in the bulletin. And I can just figure it out. That the amount that we give couldn't include very much sacrifice. Now, I will raise this point, And I didn't know this when I first put the message together that this would happen but we had a family, I don't know who they are, but last week they put a large offering into the church that completely wiped out our uh, deficit and gave us a surplus. Now, the thing about that is, we've been running a deficit almost the entire year, and we really shouldn't be running a deficit. And that's because I can figure out how many members of the church that we have, and people that are working, and I can see that we're not getting out of this $3,700 an ounce. But here's the thing about it. Jesus did not ask anyone to bring a year's salary. Jesus didn't ask Mary to run home and get this ointment that she'd hidden away. I mean, this is not something that you carry around in your purse. She had to go home to get this. And she went to do it because she recognized that it was the time to give. That there wasn't anybody but Jesus that mattered. And so she poured it all out because she loved him. It cost her something. And she didn't count what she would have left over because she didn't have anything left over. It was everything. David said, I'll not give God that which costs me nothing. And I think that's what we're actually willing to give. I'll give time if it doesn't interfere with my ball games and my entertainment and a hundred different things that I have to do, I'll give money if I'm not really going to miss it. And if it's not going to diminish my lifestyle any, I'll give if it's not going to deplete my bank account too much. But not Mary. She worshipped. She sat at the feet of Jesus and it changed her. Now think about that. More devotion, more time with Jesus will change you. It'll cause you to think differently. And I'll just add this. This really wasn't going to be a part of my message today. But Mary didn't give this because she was expecting a huge return on her ointment. She wasn't expecting to turn $44,000 worth of ointment into $250,000. Because God was just going to bless her so much. She sowed her seed of faith. And so God was going to return it to her. She didn't expect anything like that. She wasn't counting on what she would have left. She gave it all with nothing left. Have you ever wondered about this as far as sitting at the feet of Jesus and worshiping how it makes you think differently? Have you ever wondered how a missionary does this? How does he go to, a, to another land where he might have to live in squalor compared to what Americans live like when it would be so much easier to sit under a shade tree and drink a glass of iced tea or maybe Eric's preferred concoction of an Arnold Palmer. That is non-alcoholic, isn't it? Yes, by the way, that is. And uh, maybe he could do that instead of the hardship that he goes through. But why doesn't he? It's because he's seen something. It's because he's learned something. He sat at the feet of Jesus and he learned what's valuable. There we have worship defined. And worship demonstrated. Let me close today with this. And that is worship despised. Can you imagine the reaction in verse 8? But when his disciples saw it, they had, an, they had indignation saying, To what purpose is this waste? Do you know who Jesus is? What's the value that you place on him? Is he actually worthy of worship? I mean, isn't this the one that had calmed the storm on the sea? And save their lives. And didn't they say about him, there's no man that can do what this man does. He's totally different from anybody else. And didn't he walk to them on the sea again and save their lives again? I don't have time to go through the miracles, all these that he did. But I think you get the point. They missed what Mary saw. She saw death and burial. Somehow God had opened up her eyes and she saw this. And I think that she saw that his death was going to be for her. That the passion was coming and she was preparing him for the death of the Passover when he was going to be her sacrificial lamb. How grateful are you for the cross? Is it a waste for you to give all? Is it a waste to give what you have to Jesus? Is it a waste to give what's earthly perishable for that which is eternally imperishable? And, And... We may think that way sometimes, and when we are, we're despiteful of worship. Sometimes we can barely muster a crowd on a Sunday morning. Is this a waste of our time? The disciples said, what purpose is this waste? And they had missed the value of worship. Let me give you a little bit of an aside at this point. I've already spoken about music and worship. People like loud banging and... Shaking and moving and grooving, the drums and the bass guitars and all of that. But you know what I really like? I like the Lord's Supper time. When we take the Lord's Supper, our deacons move throughout the aisles. They pass out the elements. And when they do, you can barely hear a pin drop. Just a little bit of reverent music going on in the background. But almost total silence. And I've often wondered, how does that silence catch on? I mean, people that spend most of their time in church whispering to one another suddenly go stone-cold silent at the Lord's Supper. The ones that have been checking their cell phones to see how the NFL is going this morning, they would sit there at the Lord's Supper in total silence, observing what's going on. I like that silence of worship. I like it when our minds go to Jesus Christ bleeding and dying on the cross. We remember his death and we are forever grateful for the cross. Oh, I like that silence of worship. Our minds go to Calvary, to a bleeding and dying Savior for our sins. Well, the disciples were actually led in their indignation by Judas. And that shows you how much influence they had on the rest of the group. You know, some, some people think, that well, Judas was actually an outsider. That he didn't have much fellowship with them. He was different from all the rest of them. And none of them thought that way. Judas was not the one who slinks into the back door and sits on the back pew. No offense to you sitting on the back pew. But he, he, he was one who was trusted among the disciples. He was holding what little bit of money the disciples had. And don't you think that Judas would have loved to have got his hands on that alabaster vial that was worth $44,000? That was a whole lot more than he got for selling out Jesus. He got 30 pieces of silver for that. That was actually the price of a slave. That showed how much value that he placed on Jesus. And I would suggest to you that many of us put the type of value or the same value on Jesus that Judas did rather than Mary. But you know something about this? We can read the story. And we we criticize the disciples for their indignation. But then we think, who would have thought, how many of us would have thought of giving this money to the poor? I might have seen that money come into the church offering, and I'd say, well, why don't we just take this money and remodel my office? I think that'd be a good use for it. Or, why don't we take the money and remodeled the auditorium and put it back in the place that it was supposed to be when it was first built. Somebody thought that basketball was more important than worship, evidently. And that disturbs me just a little bit, but that's just, that's just me. It's a little bit of pent-up frustration, so I might not ought to say that. But I remember Frank Tharp, some of you do, who is one of our veterans who died a few years ago. Frank Tharp didn't like the building. And what he liked was traditional, a traditional church building where you had pews that are bolted to the floor, wooden pews, long pews, and arches, and all those kinds of things. He liked that kind of a church building. And I'll have to say, I kind of like that too. I kind of like those ascetics of worship. I kind of like that. But then I realized, what, what good does improving the building do if we don't see Jesus on the cross and understand the value of what he did there? We can put a lot of money into the building, but we don't want to miss the meaning of what Jesus did at the cross. Most of us would not have thought of giving $44,000 to the poor. Now, Jesus saw how they missed the significance of her act, and uh, he really should have been terribly offended at this, at the value that they placed on him. So he said to them, The poor you have always. And he was actually quoting right out of Deuteronomy 15.11. Jesus said, you are to help the poor. And the disciples understood this. But here's the problem. Their concern for the poor wasn't deep enough. It was $44,000 deep. But if their concern was actually anchored in the understanding of what Christ did on the cross, then they never would have suggested this. There's a time to help the poor, but there's also a time to worship. And the value of Christ's death was actually infinite. $44,000 wouldn't touch it. The whole world is made rich because of what Jesus did at the cross. And what Jesus did would change the status of every poor person on the earth that would have faith in him. Oh, the eternal riches of heaven belong to those that have faith in the cross. Now look at verse number 13. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world... There shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. And how right was Jesus about that? The disciples despised her act. To them, this is an act of a crazy, fanatical woman. But Jesus didn't see it that way. He lifted her up and he gave her a place in his holy word. And wherever the gospel is preached, whenever anybody picks up Matthew or Mark, or John, and they read this story about this woman, they see this wonderful act of worship that she did upon Jesus. She loved Jesus so much that worshiping him was her highest priority. And so the woman made a sacrifice, lavished a sacrifice on him that's remembered forever. Now when you worship, when you have truly worshiped, and you come to the feet of Jesus the pleasant aroma of worship will be on you. It will affect your life. If you have truly worshipped Jesus, it will change you. You'll go out of this place and people will ask you, where have you been? And you'll say, I've been with Jesus. And the aroma of worship will be on you. Is worship your priority? Is there anything that's too costly to give to Jesus? There never will be if you see him the way that Mary saw him. The priority of worship. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we bow our heads to you in worship, thinking of the great sacrifice that you made for us on the cross of Calvary. Truly, Lord, you were broken and spilled out for us. And there's nothing that we can give back that can ever match that wonderful sacrifice that you made. Lord, I pray that you would open the hearts of your people today and that they might really desire to have an encounter with you, that today as they contemplate this verse of Scripture and the great act of worship that Mary did, that there's a moving, that there is something that's happened inside that causes us to see Jesus bleeding and dying on the cross, knowing that he would sacrifice for us, and a desire will be there to give him our all. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to understand this one who is worthy of all worship. Bless us as we sing today. Lord, thank you for your people. Thank you for again for the story that we've read. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church,